The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. No, <laughs> there are distractions, but <laughs> something. Yeah, anyway, but, uh, <laughs> um, it's very nice to uh, be here and to sit with you. Um, In the announcements, this retreat was mentioned with Andrea, and I just wanted to say something briefly about it. Sayadaw Utejaniya is a teacher from Burma who has become one of, probably one of the most popular um, and respected Asian teachers who's kind of come, you know, part of our tradition, who's, who many of, of, uh, the senior teachers here in America go to study with him, and um, he's a very wonderful man. I met him once in Burma, and one of the ways that his teaching is characterized is is that he's very interested in in helping people to develop continuous awareness, continuous mindfulness. Too too low, you can't. Continuous awareness, continuous mindfulness in their life. I don't know. Better? No? Maybe your maybe the unit isn't working. Um, I wonder if someone could oh, can you hear? It's not coming through. Are the so okay, I should probably talk more. Is that working now? Is that a little more volume? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, how's that? Better? A little better. Okay. Um, so this teacher, just to say briefly. This teacher Utejaniya, um, he has some people find his approach very refreshing, because a lot of the the vipassana tradition, the mindfulness tradition that has come down to us from Asia, has been focused on retreat practice. So you know, kind of going into seclusion um, with other people and doing intensive meditation. And, um, and which is a wonderful way of practicing. It's beautiful, and, and I hope everyone has a chance to, to experience retreat practice. Um, and most of us, most of us here, probably you know, live, live in the world and have, have jobs, have families. And what about the 99% of the time that we're not you know, on retreat or we're not meditating formally? So that's the focus of that sort of, I think it's called daily life practice or everyday practice. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's a very nice approach. Um, and as you heard, we have a community fair tonight um, uh, which is a chance to just you know, find out a little bit about all the different groups and activities that happen here at IMC, um, apart from the formal practice of sitting and 
and, and hearing a talk and uh, that sort of thing. So in, in the spirit of that, I thought I would uh, do my bit and talk about um, practicing in community, practicing uh, with other people. Um, one of the, maybe you could call it the beautiful paradoxes of this practice is that it, it's a somewhat of a solitary practice um, that's focused, you know, in a way it's focused inward. Um, we sit quietly, we close our eyes, we don't speak. Um, and yet we do it with other people. And, and there's a certain power. I mean, I think everyone here uh, somehow knows that or else, you know, you wouldn't be here. There's a certain power to sitting with other people in silence and practicing with other people. And I was just thinking about this a little bit during the sit that I don't know if you've had a chance to, to, to notice this really or, or really feel this, but there can be a very sweet bond that comes from practicing in silence with other people. That, that's different than if we all just kind of had a conversation or we broke up and had a conversation, and which is nice too, which is very nice, can be very nice. But to be in silence with others is, is, is special. There's something a little bit unusual about it. And um, there's an intimacy, there can be a bond that's, that's created. Um, in times of my practice when I've been on retreat, you know, either a day-long retreat or a week-long retreat or sometimes longer retreats, um, you really get to know other people in a way that you wouldn't know if you used words. You know, you know the way the person, you know, the way they breathe, you know, <laughs> next to you, the way they move, the way they shift, how they sigh, if they're getting a little bored or, 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 or something. Or when I lived in the Zen monastery, the floor of the monastery was a kind of wooden floor that... Um, I don't know, I guess it was the way it was built, but it was very easy to make a lot of noise on it. It had certain creaks and certain... And, but so the, the practice, they were very strict about walking silently <laughs> and quickly. <laughs> so how do you walk quickly and silently on a floor mm-hmm. that's really creaky? And it was just this riddle. And I remember I was serving... Um, I was one of the servers for lunch and everyone has a different job. And I was one of the servers. And in Zen, there's an elaborate way of serving 60 or 70 people in minutes. And the whole lunch is served, is eaten. There's even seconds. <laughs> and then you eat your seconds. And then the bowls are cleaned and washed and put away. And it all happened, I think, in six minutes. And you think, how can that happen in six minutes? Well, one of the ways it happens is that the servers move pretty quickly around and then it's this, sort of this choreographed way of you bow and you, you serve and you serve the person. And so I was a new student and then everyone's, all the meditators, all the monks um, are sitting around the, the perimeters of the room. And then as servers, we're walking, maybe six or seven of us, and we're kind of walking in the middle and serve two people at a time and then bow and then go to the next people and bow. And, and then you, as a new person, you kind of think that everyone has to be just watching me, right? They're watching the serve. You know, what else are they going to do? They're just sitting there. 
And so there's that self-consciousness. Um, and then, because, it, because the meals are so quickly, you have to walk quickly. And, but, and silently. It's like, okay, and you're carrying like a big pot of soup. And so then one time the abbot, is, you always serve the abbot first, and you know, bow. And, and, and then one time after I served the abbot, he called me over like this. You know, he's like, and I thought, oh, maybe he's going to be, you know, has singled me out for a special teaching or some, you know, <laughs> that's my mind was delusions of grandeur and... And, he, and I went over and he went a little closer, a little closer, and then he said, please walk more quietly. <laughs> I said, ooh, nobody heard that. <laughs> and, but over time, it was very interesting that there was this way that the feet sort of wake up. And the only way I can describe it is this kind of awareness comes to the feet and all the different muscles and the, thing in the feet, and you sort of learn how to move and how to kind of harmonize with the floor, with the timing, with the... And, and over time, it just comes together. It's interesting. And that was a long way of saying that I felt I could tell who was walking by the sound that they would make, you know, and whether it was like the clop, 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 or the, you know, or the, just the different things. So we sort of get to know each other in, in community practice. Um, one of the things that w- aspects of, of the teaching, of the Dharma teaching, meditation practice, that was surprising to me is that um, community is given a very important place in the practice to the extent that when, when someone in, you know, in Asian cultures sort of formally, I guess you could, you could call it, maybe it's a conversion ceremony or is it, it's called a refuge, refuge ceremony. So it's take refuge. It's a way of sort of marking um, one's, um, it's sort of a way of, a, a, a public way in a, in a way of saying that one is practicing the Buddha way, the Buddha way. And so there are three uh, called treasures or three gems that we take refuge in, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And they're, and they're equal and they're given equal. So Buddha is, you know, one way of understanding Buddha is the, as the historical Buddha. Another way is this is the awakened the, the awaken, uh, cap- the, the capacity to awaken that each of us has, or our, our own awakened heart, is Buddha. The word in Pali means awake, wakefulness. Dharma is what we awaken to. So Dharma is sometimes called the teaching, you know, the truth, or kind of how things are, reality. So the Buddha is awakened to the Dharma. And then there's Sangha. And Sangha is the Pali word for uh, sort of like for community or for community of beings who are dedicated to waking up. Um, so Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. 
So, so sangha is considered very important. So important that we cannot awaken. You know, so it, this is the understanding that we have. We cannot awaken. We cannot find ourselves without the help of others. You know, it's, and so as, as solitary or as, as sort of individual as meditation practice may seem, you know, this is about some kind of inner, inner experience or inner transformation. Um, that's just a partial, you know, there's something partial about that, that we, we, we practice together, we awaken together, uh, we need each other. And so I love this image of, in Zen they have of, I think the Japanese has translated as only a Buddha together with a Buddha. You know, so it's like sometimes we can't see our own nature. We can't see our own light. But other people see us. Other people can see who we are. And we can see other people in a way that, that they can't see themselves. So it's like, you know, I point to you and then you point to me. And then it's like, oh, oh, that's, you know, that's what we're practicing here. So it's something that comes, comes alive in community. Uh, with each other. It's said this is one of the reasons that when the Buddha created the the monastic order of Buddhist monks, um, the monks uh, were not and still are not in, in, in our tradition, are not allowed to keep food overnight. And, and one of the reasons or one of the, the consequences of that is that a monk needs to go out and ask for food every day. So it needs to relate to people, needs to be connect to the community, to connect to the people who they're teaching. And so in Thailand, in, in these countries, it says that if, if a monk, if your practice is good, you'll be supported. People will support you. And people will be so inspired by their practice that they want to get, offer them food and you know, sustain them for another day. And so there's this kind of, this kind of interdependence or um, connection. Um, you might have heard this quote about, um, I think it was Ananda who came, went said to the Uru, who said, who maybe was so inspired. I'm, I'm probably, I'm paraphrasing, who was so inspired by the community and practicing with friends, with others, and said to the Buddha, I, I think that having spiritual friends is a really big part of this path. And the Buddha said, no, Ananda, you're wrong. Having spiritual friends is the entirety of this path. It's the entirety of this path. Um, having people who can uh, see us, who can, um, who can sort of hold our vow, hold our intention to be awake. You know, that's what it means to be in community. Um, and then I think we also know or have some experience of any time that other people are involved <laughs> with anything... <laughs> things can get complicated, (laughs) you know? And it's like, there's something about, especially in 
practice communities where that, that friction between people um, is said to sort of polish us, us. You know, it's like the image I was given at the, at the Zen monastery was like, um, st- what is it, like stones polishing each other in the, in the river? Or sometimes people say like, like, like you're in a cement mixer. <laughs> sometimes it can feel like that. And so hopefully you're not just knocking into each other. We're not just sort of banging, banging our heads together. We're polishing each other. We're, we're in the, and there's something beautiful about that, that um, w- when we have conflict, where we have conflict is a place we can meet. You know, it is a place we can connect and hopefully take the relationship to a deeper level. Um, there, I was just at IRC, which is our meditation retreat center. So we use this IMC and we have IRC, which is in Santa Cruz. And um, it was very sweet. We had a teacher uh, of the teacher training group that I'm in and the teacher training has just finished. We had a, our last sort of new teacher meeting there. And um, anyway, there was a little conflict and the conflict, I, I won't go spare you the, the details, but someone had, as, as had happened in these communities and some, someone, it, it turns out inadvertently I hurt someone's feelings by um, a, a friend who, who lives there and wanted to sit with me at lunch. And I, I sort of hesitated because it was having this other meeting was happening. And anyway, there was, and, um, and then I was thinking about that night. I thought, oh, I wonder if, she, I wonder if she, that was a little, I wonder if she, so I just, I sent a little message and I said, oh, I hope, I hope that was okay. That yeah, we didn't have lunch together or something. And then she wrote back something like, uh, I might hate you now, but <laughs> I know everything's impermanent. And <laughs> I thought, oh no. And, you know, and, and then I saw her at breakfast. One of the nice things is when you're in community, especially if you're living together, even if it's just temporary living together, you have a lot of chances to see each other. And so I saw her the next morning at breakfast and I, you know, made a point of connecting and we hugged and, you know, talked about it, agreed to talk about it more. Um, and so sometimes as painful as conflicts can be, they're an opportunity to go deeper or be more honest with each other in a certain way. And, um, you know, so, so there's so many benefits and blessings of community. Um, when we're in community with others, I'm sure you've experienced this, even just with living with other people at home, um, other people become our mirrors, you know, and reflect us back to us. Um, and we start to see, oh, you know, um, whether, whether, they, whether they tell us or whether we just see the impact of how we are on them, where it's like this real-time feedback mechanism. And um, so 
it's an opportunity for, for, for this going deeper with others. Others can be a mirror for, for us. Um, I think there's so much learning that happens through peers. Um, I, it's said that children learn more through their peers than they do through their teachers. Or I know my, my, I have two daughters and they're just kind of starting out in school, but they'll come back and, you know, it's like, where did you, with limericks or with different things that they've picked up and it's like, Pretty sure the teacher didn't. <laughs> that wasn't part of the you know preschool curriculum or something. Um, but we we learn from each other. We watch each other. Um, and I've been so inspired by people I've practiced with, by other teachers I've taught with, by when I've being being on retreat or being just in community. Um, inspired by how how sincerely. Others can practice in the face of difficulties, in the face of challenges. Um, One of the important but sometimes unacknowledged values of sitting with others is that it turns out that it's much easier to sit with other people than it is to sit by ourselves. I mean, for, for many people, not for everyone. But for, for many of us, I would include myself. Um, I think part of it, I mean, in, you know, this is not so glamorous, but part of it is the sort of peer pressure. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like, it's more so in Zen where you're not supposed to move at all. And then if nobody else is moving, you just, you just can't. You just kind of feel like, you know. And what's amazing is you come up to that level of the of the stillness of the you know of the people around you um, I think this is a human what do they you know isn't that so with olympic athletes like if if one record has been broken if people if there's just an awareness and consciousness that something is possible then it makes other things seem more possible so i don't know if it was the 5 minute mile or whatever someone know about those once one record is kind of shattered you know maybe maybe it makes it easier to not that we have to be olympic meditators or or anything like that um and the other thing is just the feeling of being of sitting with others and um sometimes i'm inspired not so much by the silence around me but i'm inspired by the emotion if there's if anyone has has ever sat on a on a retreat or you know even a day long retreat often there will be at least one person sometimes more who are really crying they may be grieving they may be very emotional about something and you know one of the aspects of community of sangha is it's a safe place just like meditation is a safe place to experience whatever it is we happen to be experiencing. So there'll be people who are, who are going through that process, crying, or, and, and far from being a distraction or something, I find it incredibly moving when I'm sitting. And it's sort of, there's something that, um, that, that opens my heart when I, when I feel that others are going through difficulty and and are able to express it you know and so it's a beautiful gift that we give each other to sort of hold that space you know when we're here we're really holding a space for each other um, 
one of the other um, teachings for me about sangha and about what it may mean to take refuge in sangha, to, to, to go for refuge in community, was when um, one of our beloved sangha members uh, passed away. Um, uh, I, some of you might know uh, would remember if you if you were practicing here a few years ago, Victor, Victor Medina, um, who was just such a fixture of this community and selflessly just just was he, he lived close to here and he just came here all the time and and the way that he took refuge in this community through his illness, his cancer, and and how people. Um, just the beautiful way that people offered themselves for him and came to his house and sat with him. And um, it, it was really, and I could just see how much joy and how much strength that he got from being able to not only practice with his community and live with his community, but also die in this community. And, it, and it's not a community that is afraid of death or... or or um, wants to sort of, you know, sort of pretend something about it or keep it. It was there was very this honesty and this this willingness to to be to be witness with him as he, as he went through this process and as we all will, and just as this um, great teaching that he offered us. Um, so for me, that was. I just thought, wow, what a, what a blessing to be um, uh, with people who can hold that and who can, and, um, not that it was easy. Or not, for, for, my, for me, I, it, 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 was, it was very painful. Um, but um, I told this story at the, we had a volunteer night a few, uh, a few nights ago. And it's, it's, some, it's a, something that always comes up when I think about community or um, being together, helping each other. One time, one of my teachers was asked in this kind of public sort of Dharma, Dharma combat or Dharma encounter. He was, the, he was asked by the student, how can I help others? And Mel, the teacher, said, forget about others, help yourself. And the student said, okay, how can I help myself? And then without skipping a beat, the teacher said, take care of others. (laughs) This, this, what can sometimes see like, seem like this very um, important and very clear line between self and other, between inside and outside. Um, you know, through practice, through mindfulness, through just showing up for, for ourselves and for others, you know, sometimes that starts to starts to get softer or start to dissolve. I think a lot of the boundaries 
that so, you know, so much of this practice is about being willing to sit, to sit at our boundaries, to sit with our limits, to sit at the boundaries of, of where we don't want to cross, what we don't want to feel, what we don't want to face, and, and just to be with that, and just to be with those, those lines um, with mindfulness, with a lot of compassion, a lot of care. And what can often happen is those, those boundaries start to, uh, start to seem not so solid or not so important or not so... You know, so something can open up. Um, and, and the more, maybe, the more we can fully experience ourselves and understand ourselves, the more we can be with others in a, in, a, in a beautiful way, the more we can understand others. And so something we encounter in other person is like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that in myself, and I know, I know what you're going through. And um, so, I'm supposed to end right now, but I just want to say one more thing. Because um, we have very, very fun and important things to do. Um, Sometimes one of the ways that I think about how this practice can unfold is going from being, and I'm speaking about myself, my experience, being very preoccupied with myself and me, my experience, my problems, my this, that, to... um, being more open, more willing to be vulnerable, more willing to be changed and um, impacted by the world, informed by the world and open to others. And then there can be a way, and I, we, I think we all have had these moments where both self and other can fall away. And there's this... Um, in. In Zen, sometimes this is called helping with no idea of help, no thought of helping. You know, so it's like that. The classical Zen story is how a parent adjusts their child's blanket in the night. So if you're kind of sleeping near your kids and you wake up for some reason and your child's feeling they're cold and you just kind of pull the blanket over them, there's not a lot of thought that goes into it, that's not looking around, did anybody see me do this great thing? It's just, you know, this very, it's a natural response. So this, this is the kind of, this appropriate, this immediate response um, before thinking. Some of you may have seen this. There was an article in the newspaper, in the New York Times a few months ago, about a incident that happened on the George Washington Bridge. If you're familiar with New York City, you know the George Washington Bridge. It's similar to the Golden Gate Bridge, this this huge bridge, a lot of traffic every day. And sadly, every year, a lot of suicides on the bridge. And um, so it profiled this uh, man who rides his bike across the bridge every day. And it turns out that he's from the Dominican Republic, He's a doorman in Manhattan, and he lives in New Jersey. This bridge goes between New Jersey and Manhattan. And so he 
he rides his bicycle every day to work, and he's a father, and he's, you know, a regular guy. And he saw something strange. He saw a little dog that was kind of tied up. And then he looked over, and then he saw a young guy who was like in his early 20s, 19 or 20, sort of pacing back and forth. And he was over the rail you know, there's a sidewalk and then there's a rail and then he was over on the side where you shouldn't be. And so this person, the, the bicyclist, stopped and stopped his bicycle and then he went, he, he said, well, I gotta go see what's going on. And so he went over and he, he also went over the rail and there was, you know, onto this, this ledge area. And then he could see that the person looked very troubled and um, he, he sort of held his hands out like this to show him that he had, you know, nothing in He just wanted to s- talk to him. And he, he, they, they asked him, the other, what did you say? And he said, uh, he couldn't remember, but it was something like, don't do it. We love you, my heart. And as he said, my heart, he reached out and grabbed the kid, grabbed the guy, and in a sort of bear hug, and one hand was holding the rail, one hand was holding the, the, the kid, the young man. And, you know, this, in this, and he said it, it was like a, in a second, because he, he didn't want to, you know, he just wanted to do it really quickly. And just in a second, he just grabbed him. And what was so moving to me, that was moving, but what was moving was he said afterwards, he said, as he was holding the, the boy, the, the young man, there was a moment where he could see that his delusion started to dissipate. And then once he could see, he said, he came to reality. And once the young man felt reality, he started crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. And, crying. and just this, just this torrent of emotion, you know, this torrent of, you know, of, you can imagine all the emotions that, and that for me was, you know, that he, um, he finally felt safe, that he could feel this, you know, now he was safe, now he was being held and he could feel what was there and let himself um, experience that. And, um, so for me, in a way, this is, this is what community, you know, this person in that moment had the, had the, had the, um, the wakefulness to see this other person as part of his community, as, as not separate from him. And he's like, no, you know, and held him. And, and so um, I, I think in, in, in some form or another, that's what community is. That's what we're offering for each other. And that's what community can be. Um, and, 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 um, and yeah, I, maybe that's a good place to, to stop. And I, 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 I hope that IMC, I hope that this place, this community, and I hope that your practice um, will be uh, a gift not only for yourself in, in, in making a safe container to feel and experience everything, all, all the aspects of who we are, uh, 
But then that's a beautiful gift that we give to others, you know, to be a safe person, to be a safe community, for others to go through uh, what they need, what we need to go through in order to, in order to um, wake up together. So, so I thank you very much. I thank you for being here. And um, I, I hand it over now to Hillary, who's going to talk a little bit about ways to uh, plug in and connect uh, a little bit more into this community. Um, you might be surprised by all the, all the different things that happen here that sometimes can you know, be behind the curtains. So, um, so thank you. Thank you, Hilary. <laughs> 